Hey everyone, it's uh, David Barnett from davidcbarnett.com, the blog site, YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play podcast, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses. Today, we're all in the presence of royalty. I've got Joel Libava, who is the franchise king, because I, I got a question on, on a YouTube comment, and I thought, who better to ask this question to? It's about franchising than Joel. Joel, how long have you been calling yourself the franchise king? Um, well, I actually didn't call myself a franchise king. Someone else did, and I ran with it. Uh, it's a legit nickname. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And uh, <laughs> uh, someone who I told uh, that this happened when I when I said this guy called from across the room. He said, "Hey, it's the franchise king." And I, you know, I looked around. I didn't know what he was talking about. He said, "No, I'm talking about you." <laughs> so I told a buddy of mine in Cleveland, Jim Kukrell, who's a business consultant. Uh, he said, "Dude." call a lawyer, get that thing trademarked right away, run with it, it's really cool, and I did. So uh, I think I'm going on nine years, 10 years, maybe 11. It's been trade, it's, I'm into the second trademark now. So, awesome. um, and I have fun with it, but you know, Jim Jim said, Joel, dude, you gotta wear the crown wherever you go, and I said, I, I can't do it, I can't do it, because I want to remain credible. You know, I don't wanna be like that crazy money guy, you know, wears like question marks, and, it goes around to conventions. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be, you know, looked at as legit. Yeah. And I won't wear the crown. I'll show it, but I won't wear it. And um, I asked another friend of mine, uh, Carol Roth, who's a, who's a pretty big time uh, consultant, used to be a, a banker, investment banker. And she said, Joel, if you sat down with a client in, in an office, would you wear the crown? And I said, no. I said, well, there's your answer. Yeah. So there's two ways to go with it. But yeah, so uh, 10, 11 years, I have fun with it. Well, and, and I, want to, I want to recap a little bit about your history because <clears throat> it's important, I think, for people to understand people's motivations and, and things in business. And, and just before the, we hit record, we talked a little bit about this. I love to use the example of car dealers, car salesmen on dealer lots and mortgage brokers because when people step onto a car dealership lot and they speak with a salesperson, they understand that the salesperson's job is to sell them a car and that the person is going to get paid if they buy a car. And so with that knowledge, you can interact with that person and get information about the car and learn what you need to learn to make an informed decision. But when you believe that someone is working only in your best interest, so, and I use the example oftentimes of mortgage brokers because many of them will bill themselves as it's a free service and I work for you, et cetera. But in reality, they're being paid by the, the lender, whoever it happens to be. And so there's a lack of transparency there. Um, in the world of franchises, there are the franchise companies and they will go to, you know, trade shows and things and they'll try to find people to sign up for their franchises. But then there's also a brokerage channel that exists and why don't, we, why don't we have you talk a little bit about that? I've got experience with it, but I, I'd like to hear from your point of view. Um, because you started off advising people as a franchise broker. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about what, was, what that was like? Sure. Now, you know, I was a consultant. Oh, franchise. sorry, a consultant. Okay. Which was the same thing, by the way, uh, as you know. Uh, in 2001, I was uh, uh, fired from my, the last real job I ever had. And, uh, you know, I had a young, 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 young child and was kind of freaking out. But at the same time was going through the, man, do I really want to work for anyone anymore? It just doesn't seem to be working out. And my late father, Jerry, was one of the first uh, members of a group called Framnet. 
and he was one of the first brokers. And he asked me, well, he hammered on me for like three months after I was canned to join him. And I was like, eh, you know, I mean, I work for a franchise auto dealership. That's about as much as I know about franchise. He said, yeah, but you know, you, you can do presentations and you love doing that. And I think it would be a good fit for you. So once I started learning more, I said, wow, this, this could work. So I got trained, excellent training, um, and became, became a consultant, a broker. Now, in 2001, uh, we were very local. So we had an office and we met with people face to face. Um, and it was actually, it was pretty cool because I would, I would help, you know, sell franchises really to people in the local area. And I knew the area and I right. knew kind of what there was too much of and, and maybe what's needed and what you shouldn't buy for this area. Uh, I'm in Cleveland, Northern Ohio, the rock and roll capital of the world. Uh, and I did that for about seven or eight years with, with that organization. We were franchisees, my mm -hmm. father and I, and, uh, it wasn't, it was starting to, to kind of not feel right. And I was helping a lot of people get in business and doing very well financially, except they were going out of business uh, rather quickly, a, a portion of them, enough to make me feel guilty. And wow, I just got to, you know, get paid $15,000. And, um, you know, I worked hard and, and I did the right thing. It was the right fit for the, for the person. But man, they went out of business in like a year and it happened too many times. So uh, that combined with a lot of the politics that was going on at, at the group, um, I, I said, I'm, I'm done. So I became an independent franchise consultant. And okay. my dad always told me, Joel, the franchisors don't care where the leads come from. They don't care what brokerage group, what person, as long as a lead that turns into a franchise. E. So like 90% of the people I worked with signed up with me. So I did that for a couple of years. And, and this isn't a surprise because right. what the franchisors want is they want to expand their footprint and add new locations. Yeah. It's very logical to understand that. Yeah. They want to make deals. And it, it was fine. I did it for a couple of years and I still, eh, I just wasn't feeling it. So I did something crazy and decided to change my model and actually charge people for my expertise, for my knowledge, um, which is today still a grind because it's me against three or 4,000 or more franchise brokers, consultants who do this for free, which is what you've talked about. Yeah. So I still do that. And I've also added um, uh, uh, marketing and SEO and, and some writing that I do for emerging franchisors, really young franchisors with 10, 20 units. And I really feel I can help them. So, so I do both. But the, but the bottom line is um, I love what I'm doing. I make less money and have more fun and mm -hmm. feel more, more satisfaction. And um, what I do doesn't rely on whether the franchise gets sold or not. Right. So you're, so you're free, free to give the honest, direct advice that somebody should hear, right. whether Period. it's to buy this one or that one, or maybe this isn't for you. Right. Or maybe I'll, I'll do some, uh, I have some inside knowledge maybe, and I'll share it and I'll say, look, not right now, this isn't the time or not in this area. Or I'll say, and interestingly enough, I get about 30% of the people that contact me are actually working with brokers or consultants, and they want to make sure that uh, uh, they're not, the consultant really is looking out for their best interest. So they'll ask me for a second opinion. Yeah. If it's a good franchise and a good fit, I have no problem telling them, hey, you're on the right track. 
you're good. But if it's not, I'll say, by the way, did you know about these lawsuits? Or, you know, then I kind of wake things up. My, my job isn't to destroy something. It's to make sure that they're doing the right thing for them. And, and that's so I can fall asleep at night. Now, some of the people in the industry don't care for me because I'm blunt and I'm truthful and I have no problem calling out franchisors that suck. All right. Um, but they know the, some of them may dislike me, but they know that I come from a place of ethics and what it is is what it is. I'm not making stuff up. Um, and I'm getting to the point I'm, I'm 60 and I don't care what they say anyway. <laughs> I don't know if you're getting there, but that's kind of my personality. It's kind of evolved where I don't care. I'm just going to do the right thing for the people. The, the thing you talked about, um, before we got on, on, on the air was that today's franchise buyers, prospective franchise buyers, like the fact that they can work with a broker consultant for free. Obviously, free is great. But they don't really know that the franchise consultant is actually contracted by the franchisors that, they're, that they work with. They're the car salesman. Right. They don't, People but, don't but, get that. But it comes across like the consultant is working for them. Yeah. But they're not. They're not. Well, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because what I have noticed is this proliferation of franchise brands out there. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that I wrote somewhere years ago, and I can't remember if this was inspired by someone or if I actually made it up myself. It's been such a long time. But I put, you know, in the, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, everyone wanted to own a McDonald's. Now everyone wants to be Ray Kroc. Right. And so you've got all of these people coming up with these business ideas saying, and then I'm going to franchise it because right. their, their romantic dream is that they want to have a hundred other people working all day right. so that they can collect royalty checks and, and right. And you know, right off into the sunset in you know, Canada or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, all of a sudden now we have this explosion and it's not just in the traditional fields, but you've got all kinds of new industries that are seeing franchise brands and you've witnessed a lot of this proliferation. Yeah. One of the, the, the question that the YouTube commenter said, how do I um, recognize a good franchise? What are the things to look for in a good or maybe on a bad, in a bad franchise? And you've seen this proliferation and you've seen names completely disappear. I'm sure. I've witnessed some amazing blossoming of franchise brands. One of them, uh, they're still open with just a handful of locations. Here in Canada, it was called Great Canadian Bagel. They had like hundreds of locations. They even went into the States and the UK. Now they've got like 30 locations, right? And so they, they grow, they shrink. I've often told people that there's a certain glory time for a franchise brand where if they're signing up, if they've demonstrated a little bit of success and they sign up some wealthy enough franchisees who can remain open, even if they're losing money, then they have that five-year window where they have to try to sell as many locations as they can before their, their disclosure document starts to disclose a bunch of closures. Have you seen that too? Um, I, don't, I don't see it as something that's intentional, but I, but I see it happen. And it's weird that you mentioned bagels because we've had some franchisors in the U S I think one of them was like the New York bagel company or something, um, who, who, you know, sold dozens and dozens of franchises and all of a sudden they're gone and they're coming up with stories on how to, you know, how to cover themselves. 
Um, what I tell people when they're looking at a franchise is to try to try to get a good feel of what the culture is like at headquarters. Mm. And it starts with that first interaction with your franchise salesperson, franchise development rep at headquarters, um, which, which sometimes isn't even at headquarters because a lot of franchisors are outsourcing their sales departments. So one of the things to ask the person, who, you know, you request information on a franchise website, an opportunity portal, and someone contacts you. You need to ask, do you work for the franchisor or are you an outside organization? Because that makes a difference too, because an outside organization in sales, not even brokers, but franchise salespeople that are employed to sell franchises are employed to sell franchises. Yeah. And they are not going to look at the candidates as hard as the franchisor will because they want to make their five or $7,000 commission and they want to do volume. So that's the first thing. But, you know, that first impression, like in any kind of business, is so important. What is that franchise development rep? What is that salesperson like? Do they, do they come across like they really want to get to know you and make sure you are a good fit? Or they come across of here's what you do first week, second week, third week, let's see if it works out, then we're going to invite you to headquarters and wow. So, so that is a kind of a telltale sign is what is, what is that first in, in interaction with? How aggressive are they? Mm. Um, the second thing is, is to make sure that you have determined your budget before you even begin to look. Because the worst thing that can happen is you can find a franchise opportunity that, that feels like, wow, I, I can see myself doing this. But you find out that it's like $800,000 yeah. uh, just, just to do the first unit. And you have a $400,000 net worth. So make sure you, you, you set a budget so you don't set yourself up for disappointment. So set a budget. See what you do about finding about the culture and use freaking Google. Mm. This is not that hard, folks. Google the name of the franchise company and follow it with the word fraud, lawsuits, etc. It's not too culture scam. There's all kinds of words you can dream up if you're if you're trying to find dirt on someone. And, right. and what I've learned recently in some of the research I've done is that you may have to get a couple pages deep into Google. Most people never get to the second page yeah, of the results. First page and they're done. You got to go in. And the people who have dirt on them, one of the strategies they follow is to get up a lot of websites that are positive to try to bury dirt, right? So get into page three, four, five and see right. and look for you know, not necessarily a website, but look for a comment that Google found in some kind right. of online forum. Know, discussion forum, like a Reddit page, right. or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I go through that. Uh, uh, I released um, uh, a digital uh, a book uh, last year, uh, The Definitive Guide to Franchise Research. And there's a whole section that I decided to go with, which is all about how to do online research. Mm -hmm. uh, one example of that, a guy that did that, uh, Brad Sugars from Action Coach. He had about eight years ago, horrible write-ups. And they were true because he's just not a, not a good guy. And he hired a company to do exactly what he said, to bury the negative reviews and to create websites and comments that would move him up as, as someone credible. And today, you can still do that today. So yes, you have to go really, really deep and, 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 there, and there's a way to do it. Um, the best thing, of course, to find out if it's a good franchise is to talk to the franchisees when appropriate. 
a lot of people get so excited about a franchise opportunity that they find out there's two locations within driving distance and they either call or head out there before they even know what the franchise does. They get all excited. Oh man, I'm going to open one of these. And they talk to the franchisee, freak the franchisee out because they don't even know the, the right questions to ask. Franchisee gets paranoid. Oh no, there's going to be someone moving in or someone wants to buy my business. Um, um, or, or you can't move too fast. You, you've got to do it when it's appropriate. And that means when you understand the business model and when you've gone through some of the steps that the franchise rep wants you to go through to get there. But the franchisees, I mean, that's where the answers are. That is where the answers are. And, and it's important, like you said, to talk to someone who is not going to see you as a competitive threat. You know, if you're in Ohio to, to drive two states over and talk to someone, that person right. knows that you're not going to take yeah, any that's of the okay. business. Yeah. Right. And there, yeah. I've, I've always seen that people, you know, business people generally are people who want to serve others, you know, in an exchange to, to earn a living right. and they're generally helpful people. Oh yeah. And I've, I've seen examples where people have been totally willing to share the dirt on what's been going on in their business, particularly if they're having difficulty with the franchisor, you know, if the franchisor is, yeah. You know, the way they apply the rules is a really, diff- right. you know, makes things difficult for the franchisee. Right. These are the things you want to know because I liken it to subordinating yourself to another layer of government because you pay money off the top, just like, you know, a sales tax, you pay money off the top to that franchisor and they have, you know, control over what you do and they can take away certain of your rights if things don't right. go the way that, that they want. And so you have to make sure that you're going to be able to live within their structure right. and get along. Otherwise you've invested money and then you, you know, you painted yourself into this corner. Well, one of the best things about franchising and franchising is good is that you can find out ahead of time what the culture is going to be like, what your role as a franchisee is going to be. And if you know how to do it, you'll even be able to find out when you, when you're going to break even ish and, and when you're going to make money and how much money you're going to make. You can find all this out ahead of time by getting to know the franchisees and, and not making it just a transactional phone call, but like get to know them and yeah. they will share with you. And if they are having problems with the franchise or they'll talk for hours because they're, they're venting, but it's, it's, it, you're also looking for the positive information. You're looking to find out, you know, I had this problem and the IT department jumped on it within like two hours and fixed it. Or, you know, we're all using the same email newsletter provider. Something happened. They changed providers because it happened and walked us through the whole thing. You know, stuff like that, that they are able to fix product launch problems um, because you want to find out the good too. And one question I like, I like my, my clients to ask franchisees is if I was your cousin and I live in another part of the country and I was going to open this, would you tell me to do it? Mm. You know, it's a great questions. way to frame it. Ask questions in a different way. Um, uh, you don't want yes and no. You want, you want to ask open-ended questions so you can get the real scoop. It's not hard to do, but even today, I would say that 40% of the people that buy franchises don't even talk to any franchisees, which is amazing. Is that, you know, in, in, in business acquisition, we call this buyer fever. Where, where people will become so enamored and excited about the, the dream that they have about what it's going to be like that they just start running full steam toward it and they, they lose the pragmatism, you know, the, or the skepticism to, 
you know, try to poke at things and look at things. And so the same thing kind of happened. Well, I mean, yeah, it, the same it thing does. happens with cars, RV sales, right. sales, no matter what, right? You're in the ether and you're like, oh, this is for me. Let's go. And facts, ah, I want those because I'm too excited. Nothing can go wrong. I know this is for me. And, and that's how people lose money. When, you know, you said that you've seen a lot of people buy a franchise, get set up and then fail. What are some of the big reasons why you believe that that happens? Is it the individual or the system or, or are there different reasons that you've seen? Sometimes both. The transition from employee to employer is a lot bigger than a lot of people realize. Mm. In addition, even though, even when I was a, a consultant, I, I always put this out there. I always told people, if you are looking to replace your income, it's not going to happen in the first year, maybe not even the second year. You, you know, if you're looking to get a paycheck right away, don't do this unless you're at, you're, you're looking at an existing business mm. that is up and running and, and you can get a good idea of what the revenue is. But if you're doing a startup franchise in your neighborhood, the first one in your neighborhood, you know, it's going to take a while to break even. You have a business loan to pay off. There's a lot of things. So a lot of people go out of business because they didn't have any money in the reserve or just psychologically, they couldn't handle not getting a paycheck and, and they would, they refuse to be patient and, and just wait. You know, buying a franchise is a long-term investment thing. You know, it's part of a long-term investment strategy. It, it's not a short-term fix. If you're looking to buy a franchise, a startup, and, and you're opening the location for the first time, it's not a short-term solution to your long-term career problems. You have to make sure that you're looking at this in the long view. And I've had people thank me for telling me, telling them that. Thanks, Joel. You know, I, I thought it was like a long-term thing, but thanks for reiterating that. Mm. What now, one of the things, like um, in 2015, I wrote a book, Franchise Warnings, where I talked about some of the things that I've seen that were not so great about the business model that I wanted people to know about. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about is the, the value of buying a franchise that's kind of in the shadow of other locations. Because one of the big reasons why you buy one of these things is to get that name, which hopefully has some degree of recognition in your market. If there's a, a 50 locations in California and you open the first one in Ohio, is there going to be any value in the name? Have, have you seen, you know, what would you say on that topic? And have you seen, uh, you know, how this can play out? Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people tell me when I ask them, so why are you thinking about buying a franchise, Jim? Well, you know, I, I want that brand name behind me. Okay, fine. What if you end up being interested in a franchise that doesn't have a brand name in your area? Yeah. How important is that brand? Well, but I know about the brand. But do people, you know about the brands you're looking at? Do people in your area know about it? No. So how are you going to transfer that brand over to your local area? And, and how's the franchise going to help you do that? Hmm. Um, and, and yes, I've seen it. Yes, I've seen it. Um, one example, you know, a lot of cool, healthy food type franchises start in California and do well in California. They do well in Arizona where it's temperate, where the, where the weather's nice all the time, you're outside. Uh, but some of them don't work in the Midwest, where, where wintertime you're not outside. You, you need a bunch really of calories cold. to keep yourself warm in the cold. Yeah, right, <laughs> especially where you are. But Cleveland doesn't get warm in the wintertime here. 
So you're right, you have to be careful. It, it, having a brand is nice, but remember, if you're buying a, a franchise that already has a brand presence in your area, you're not gonna get your first choice of location probably, or your second or your third. So how important is that brand? So a lot of people say, well, with the brand name, it really lowers my risk. Not necessarily, especially with the internet, because if something goes bad, you know, uh, someone at Taco Bell, you know, is eating this taco and then is doing weird stuff with it and it's on YouTube. Three days later, there's a million views. Yeah. Two more days later, the PR firm has to jump in and say, no, 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 that was just that location. Yeah, but the people visiting your location know about it. And now there's less of them visiting as they're grossed out. So you don't have, you can't control what other franchisees and other markets are doing. Mm. So you actually do have to find out if the franchisor has a good PR firm <laughs> um, that, can, that can help mitigate things if they happen. One of the things that I've noticed as well is that when a franchise brand seems to hit a home run, when it's, it's successful and they're rolling out quickly, the, the lead time to the copycats tends to be shorter now. Have you noticed this as well? Where, yeah, where another just like me yeah. brand will appear. Yeah, because you can put up a website in a day and a half. Yeah. You know, and you can start branding as, as you know, either the alternative or with a similar name. It happens. But I found that the, the, the good franchisors, they don't even worry about it. You know, they, they're not losing sleep over because they know they're just going to be one hit wonders anyway. And the people that do that generally are not the best people to begin with. And they just kind of blow them, themselves out of the water. They do it by themselves. They'll sell a few locations and they're done. You, you had mentioned that you are working with some early stage franchisors. What in particular should people be watching out for if they're looking at a franchise that only has 10 or a dozen locations? And, and are there certain advantages to the to franchi prospective franchisee in dealing with that kind of franchisor? When you work with a young franchisor who might have 10 or 15 locations or five locations, the cool thing is they may be a, a tad more flexible and be a little more open to ideas that you may have mm -hmm. because you're on the front line, you're doing it as opposed to a franchisor that has 500 units that is already very rigid and knows what works. So, so that's one advantage. You know, your creativity can be used more in general. The second one is you get your first choice of location almost every time. What are the chances that a franchise with a, with a small footprint is in your area? Very slim. So you get your first choice of location. Uh, you might have uh, the ability to actually get some extra zip codes or whatever the territory is because you're the first one in sometimes. Um, and you get to just really be involved as like one of the first franchisees and, and it's kind of cool. And the franchisor will be really loyal. Also, the franchisor may work harder than normal to make sure that you succeed because you're one of the first ones. So there are, there are some advantages, but you have to make sure that it's not a concept that's not I was always taught that if you have to explain what the business is for like more than 20 seconds, yeah, it's not good. So it has to be something that is, that is, that people can view as something that's a realistic business. Well, and, and, and having to explain the business, I think is, is key to understanding how this is growing into other fields because at one time franchising was generally carpet cleaning and food. Right. right. And you know, now we've got, you know, you mentioned business coaching, you know, there's all kinds of professional services right. and all kinds of other things now that are starting to go franchise. Um, what, 
what what are some of the newer ones that you've seen come along here recently? Uh, some of the newer ones, uh, one of them I'm, I'm working with is actually, it's, it's a pet franchise. And remember, I don't know if you have a pet or not. We have, we have, a, we have a, a dog, a franchise dog on Twitter. As a matter of fact, he's in the corner over there. Franchise uh, dog? Okay. Yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, he's, it's the second dog we've had on that's had his own franchise account. Franchise dog's been around for like eight or nine years, maybe 10 years on Twitter. So this is the second version. This is Bear is his name. Anyway, um, pet franchises, people spend so much money on their pets. It's almost like they're their kids. So if you can find a niche where people are willing and able to spend money, more money that they spend on, on their cars, yeah. then that's a business you want to get into. Pet Butler, for instance, um, which I never thought would be viable, is actually viable. They pick up dog poop. And uh, the franchisee doesn't necessarily do it. The technicians do it, yeah. <laughs> technicians, hoop technicians, but it's a service that people pay for. Now, here's the cool thing. It's considered an essential business during the pandemic because if you leave dog feces around, it can spread disease among dogs. But it's true. It's true. I mean, there's, there's so many nasty things that could happen. So it's actually the central business. So the, 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 the franchisees are actually, they're in business, you know, they're, they're, they're doing okay. Um, so, so some of the pet ones I've seen are new. There's some children's franchise opportunities out there that are new. Um, uh, uh, Snapology, uh, another client of mine, they're doing, they teach robotics to kids. Okay. Coding. And, and if you can get a kid in early, because the schools aren't gonna teach it as well, you can get them in early and even preschool, how to code, how to build robots, they're already thinking, you know, STEM, you know, math and science and technology and stuff. So franchises in that niche are, are, are really interesting. And of course, every food franchise under the sun, um, you know, there's a new pizza every week. There's a new hamburger every week. There's more healthy food now. Mm. Um, I don't know about you. I'm not really eating it. I, I'm, not, I'm not a smoothie guy. Um, but there are people that, you know, that will have smoothies four times a week. Uh, so there's there's always interesting niches in, in healthy food. What about in Canada? Are you seeing anything kind of unusual and maybe that'll work? Well, you know, the, the the thing that I see all the time is that something will take off in Toronto or Montreal, like a big urban right. center. And then uh, it'll be a hit downtown. It'll spread to the suburbs and then someone will bring it here to the Maritimes and it's not, it's too Based. early or not, it's not going to work. Uh, the market is completely different. Or I'll give you one example where there was a really successful food franchise in Montreal and they were all, Montreal is very much of a um, street level retail kind of place where people walk around and they go into stores like kind of like New York, right? And so when they came to our market, we have like a five block strip of Main Street that was built a hundred years ago that looks like that. And so that's where they thought that the location should be because it looks the same, but there's no parking. Right. Because the majority of our city, of course, is auto dependent people driving around like, like, you know, a lot of Ohio is right. right. And so that franchise suffered and then someone opened one of uh, another one under that brand, sort of in a more suburban locale with parking. They did very well, you know, but the franchisor insisted on that downtown location because it looked like what they had in Montreal. So poor, poor homework on the franchisor's part. Well, and, and, you know, it's, it's a part of a learning curve that unfortunately an individual investor had to pay for. Right. And the, 
The other thing that I see, you mentioned it about additional zip codes or additional territories. The thing I've seen burn more people than not is they'll be the first to bring it into my region in particular, let's say from the big city, and they'll be offered some kind of deal to add a bunch of additional locations. They'll pay for these at a discount. Right. Price. right. But then the first one never ends up being successful. And then they, you know, all that extra investment is, is just lost money. And it's that not they like signed to, that they signed up in a legal contract to do. I'm going to open three locations within six years. Well, what, what they're signing, <laughs> they're signing, you know, they're giving an extra fee to get so many other locations right. at no cost in the future. Okay. Oh, I see that. So but, it's like but they still had to sign. So it's still, they're still legally required to open them. Well, well, okay. So, so there's some are optional. And then oh, okay. there was one fellow I knew who bought a franchise place and he signed a development, an area development right. where he had to open three more right. locations in a certain period of time. Right. And he got this, he got the first of three new ones open. It wasn't that successful. And of course, then he was counting on the cash flow from the first two right. to open the third and the fourth. And it, it just didn't work. And so, you know, when I talk with people like that, I'm saying like, it's the same reason why you don't sign, you know, uh, uh, buy a business with a seller note that has a three-year balloon. You have yeah. no idea of what, what the availability of credit is going to be in the banking world in general or in your particular circumstance in three years time. Or if there's a pandemic. Yeah, who knows? Right, I'm right. who would have thunk that, right? You, you, you can't rely on these things. So, you know, I've, I've, I've said to a few people, if they want to offer you these new locations, say, great, say, um, for a dollar, I'd like an option to buy the next three at half price. There you go. But I'm not putting up the money today. That's right. There's no because way. I might need that money to live on a year from now if my sales haven't grown the way you've, you've insinuated they right. may. Right. right? But I love of course, there's no promises. But I love multi-unit franchising. I love it. I, it's, it's a great way for people to really... Um, have an ability to earn a nice income down the road if they do it right and the locations work. And it's a good concept. Well, and, in, and I've got some personal firsthand experience with this. I have some friends here locally that bought a franchise back in the seventies and, and it was a territory franchise. And so they now got 20 units in their territory and wow. now they have a central commissary, central head office, et cetera. Fantastic. They have lots of efficiencies of scale but that franchise brand is no longer doing that. They're now selling single locations. Wow. So it's, it, as time goes by, the rules can change too. That's right. and so these people are fortunate that they, they have what they have. But I mean, I know in particular, they worked for many years with very little as they, as they built up to that point. But they built it. They built a yeah. business and that's awesome. Yeah. So, so Joel, um, if people want to learn more about you or, or if they want to find that book, The Definitive Guide to Franchise Research, uh, where do they need to go to, to learn that? Learn pretty, that easy, stuff? Uh, pretty easy. The French, big surprise, thefranchiseking.com. And uh, they'll easily find The Definitive Guide to Franchise Research. It's an it's a instant download, 29 bucks. And uh, the stuff that I put in there, they could use on 150 different franchises. It's all the same. And uh, the online part, I think people will really enjoy. Really, it's, it's a it's a step-by-step how to use Google or Bing to find out information that no one else is, is looking for. Um, yeah. and, so, yeah. and, and this is the key because I, you know, what, 
I mean, you and I grew up in a time where if we wanted to learn something, we had to go to the library. We had to know how to use index cards, right. get out the microfiche and, you know, yeah. magnify those miniaturized newspaper articles and all that kind of stuff. And so we were taught to think about how things are categorized and, and the way right. you look for the data. And what I find interesting today about people, maybe it's the millennial generation, people kind of under 40, is they're very used to just typing a question or speaking a question into Google and then just accepting what comes right up. And sometimes that stuff's been put there for you to find. And, and I don't think people quite register that. We already talked about that today. You have to, you have to dig deep and you know, people are doing it uh, instantly. You know, they're just, they're, they're sitting on their couch during a commercial and they're, and they're, and they're typing stuff in and, uh, trying to find out information and they're like, Oh, okay, cool. But then they forget because we are bombarded, bombarded all day with marketing messages and, and videos. And, and so, it, you know, it, it's an overwhelm really have to have to kind of take a deep breath when you're doing this whole franchise research thing, but it could be done. Yeah. And, and what, another thing that I've, and I don't know if your book mentions this, but if you, if you start to read stuff and you start to see people's names, well, go type those into LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or type those people's names in with some of those search terms we talked about okay. fraud, right. lawsuit, scam. It, their background is. Yeah. You know, it might be really like a really good, cool background. Hey, you worked for Apple for 10 years. I mean, you, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's do your research and it's just due diligence really. Anyway, Joel, yep. thanks. It's been great. And, uh, and good to talk to you. All right, stay warm in the summer and uh, stay cool in the winter up in, up in the Maritimes. But yeah, really great to know you. Thank you. Good. And for any of you guys listening, if you're interested in business stuff, you should be on my email list, which if you go over to davidcbarnett.com, on the left-hand side, there's a sign-up. Choose the topics that interest you so that I don't bombard you with stuff that you don't like. There's six different categories you can choose from. And of course, easy unsubscribe anytime. Anyway, we'll talk to you soon. Have a great day.